You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. We are back with a, another great week of Maryland sports. I'm Dylan Spoko alongside Lauren Roche and Sam Ostry. We have some Maryland football news to briefly talk about, and then we'll get right into Maryland men's basketball. A few players enter the transfer portal for Maryland football, as has been the case since the conclusion of the 2021 season after Maryland won the Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, most recently, linebacker Deshaun Holt entered the transfer portal. Uh, wide receiver Nick DeGenero entered the transfer portal. So now that means Holt, DeGenero, Daryl Jones, Brian Cobbs, Carlos Carrier rounds out the wide receiver group that has entered the transfer portal. Uh, Reese Udinsky, quarterback, he entered the transfer portal. Offensive lineman Evan Gregory. And then earlier in, uh, I think it was before the pinstripe bowl, Penny Boone. And then linebackers Terrence Lewis and Brandon Jennings have all entered the portal. So that's all we have for now for Maryland football. I'm sure there will be more transfer portal entries to come but that'll just be like a revolving door of players entering and possibly players coming into the Maryland program. So we will keep you updated on all of that on our website with new breaking news articles. And then moving on to Maryland men's basketball, there's been two games since our last podcast, the one against Brown and then the most recent one against Iowa against Brown, which we can quickly go over because Iowa's the much more relevant one considering it was the last one. Maryland outscored Brown 39 or Brown was outscoring Maryland 39 to 35 in the first half. Then Maryland came back with a 46 to 28 run in the second half, led by Eric Iles, 22 points. Maryland eventually beat Brown 81 to 67, and that was the last game in Maryland's conference play. So Maryland finishes with an eight and three record in non in non conference play. I mean, and they had an eight and four record heading into Iowa, and we could start getting into a little bit of that one. Maryland dropped that one 80 to 75 in their first true road game of the season in Iowa city on Monday night, Maryland is now eight and five on the year. Just after watching that game, what are some of our initial takeaways? Yeah. So, I mean, like they played really well after about 10 minutes into that first half. And they obviously got down to um, a big deficit. I think they were trailing by 12 at one point with around like 10 minutes to go in that, um, in that first half. And they were really struggling, but like we've seen all season, like we saw last week against Lehigh and Brown, They've been a second half, a, a team that gets off to poor starts, doesn't come out with a lot of energy, but then can pick it up later in the game. And we saw that against Iowa. And you maybe thought that, okay, against a team as good as Iowa, against good Big Ten competition, maybe they can't come back. But they really did. And they put together, they were switching up their defenses, giving some press looks, trapping a half court. Um, they went to a zone look too. And they're really disrupting um, an Iowa, that Iowa offense. But at the end of the day, they couldn't stop Keegan Murray, who's Iowa's best player, one of the best players in the Big Ten, one of the best players in the entire country, who went off for a career-high 35 points. They had no one to check him. I expected Hakeem Hart kind of get some looks on him. Dante Scott was guarding him for a lot of the time. And when Julian Reese was in, Julian Reese was matched up with him. But no one could stop him. Um, whatever it was, they weren't throwing enough bodies at bodies at him. And maybe that's because Iowa shooters all over. So if you help too much, you know, he's going to find other guys to kick to, and they can knock down shots. But it felt like a game that, like, there's going to be a lot of scenarios where they're going to be competing with good Big Ten teams, tournament teams in the Big Ten. And they kind of just come up just short. And there's going to be games that they need to win. Like, they had that Iowa game in late, 
with some with about five, six minutes left in that half, in that second half, you thought that this could be a game that Maryland could actually pull out. And then Iowa just took over and Keegan Murray took over really. And Maryland couldn't get those necessary stops, necessary um baskets late in that game. And and that obviously ended up losing. But it kind of felt like a game like these are the type of games they need to win in the Big Ten if they're gonna come be in the top half of that conference and then end up making a run in March. And it's interesting because it seems like where they're falling short, oftentimes it's just right out of the gate. Like if Maryland had kept it a little bit closer um, in that first um, half and not had taken so long to kind of like tie the score and start actually competing a little bit, then maybe at the end, some of those plays wouldn't have mattered as much and wouldn't have been like kind of as down to the wire as they were. And so I think the thing about this Maryland, you know that, at least I've seen, is that they are starting to gel a bit more as a team and starting to play more together, which is something that they've spoken about and how when you have so many new faces on a team like this Maryland roster does, and then you have um, interim head coach Danny Manning who stepped into this new role, there is an adjustment period, and we've been seeing that, and I think they're still definitely in that adjustment period, and, you know, maybe that's part of the reason they're still kind of coming out slow, but you have to think after playing in a game like they did against Iowa and really keeping it close. And even with the game that Keegan Murray had to be able to keep it as close that they, as they did. I think when you look back at some of their losses this season, you, at least I wasn't expecting if they were playing them at that point in the season, maybe if they had played Iowa when they played Northwestern, if those two games were swapped, I don't think that the outcome would have been as close. I think that Iowa still would have won, obviously, but I think it would have been a much further park game. So I do think that there are steps in the right direction. And I think Eric Ayala, we talked about last week, like, has he turned a corner? I think that it seems like he's turned a corner a bit. Like he definitely has had those more dominant performances that we're used to seeing. But I think ultimately Keegan Murray was the difference maker for Iowa. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's a really interesting and dynamic player. And I think that, like you touched upon, Iowa has plenty of weapons. So kind of depending on how much pressure you put on him, there's other outlets. But Keegan Murray was that outlet for Iowa on Monday and really kind of was the difference maker in that one. So the adjustment period for Maryland is obviously still going on, especially early on in games where we're finding Maryland is off to these common occurrences of slow starts. And against Iowa, it was no different. Iowa jumped out to a 14 to 15 lead with around 11 minutes left in the, in the first half. But then something just started to click on, on Maryland's side. It seemed that Maryland started to create some turnovers. They started to hit some shots, and they looked like a completely different team after Keegan Murray ripped off, like, I don't know, like 80% of Iowa's points right out of the gate. Uh, Maryland rattled off a, a 21 to six run. You know, what changed in that first half? And a lot of credit to Danny Manning as to the quick adjustments, because I feel like when Maryland was under Mark Turgeon, a lot of those adjustments would come in the, in, in the second half when Maryland would get off to slow starts. But in the first half, I think that Danny Manning really did a good job of. Uh, trying to to calm the storm a little because it, I think it really could have gone out of hand. I think Iowa came into that game with like a a, a really good home record, like nine and one or ten and one. They only had like one loss at home, so they, they they were a really strong home team, and that game could have went from bad to worse. But Maryland stopped the bleeding in that first half with that twenty one to six run, and I would go to say that that was probably the best stretch of basketball that we've seen from 
Maryland all season. And I wanted to get your guys' opinions on that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely was. Um, and you talk about what switched, like what changed up in that first half. I really think it was the defense and that, that led to the offense. I mean, I talked about earlier, he, like those adjustments that he made were just getting away from just straight man to man. I mean, he was pressing a little bit when they were crossing half court. He was trying to trap in those corners on at, at a half court. They were giving some zone looks. It was more of a 3-2 zone, a little bit of matchup zone two was in there. But it was just giving them different defensive looks that they really hadn't seen all year. That was kind of getting them out of the rhythm because they were really hot in the beginning of the game and also maybe get Keegan Murray out of his rhythm a little bit, which they did for a brief stretch late in that first half into the second half. But obviously he ended up catching fire again. But um, yeah, so I mean, that that's what it was. And that defense, and they started creating turnovers and it led to offense. It led Maryland to push the ball and run in transition, which is something that they want to do. And that's where Fats Russell thrives. And, you know, he had a great game. He had 16 points, um, 7-15 shooting and um, four assists. So he, he had a very good game, and that was a lot because he was able to run out in transition. So from there, where we're wrong is really just, like, failing to locate and stop Keegan Murray. I mean, if, if a guy on one team has 35 points, you're probably going to – that team is probably going to win the game. It's just what happens in college basketball. I mean, that's a that's a ton of points. Obviously, it was, it was his career high. And then the other thing, and we might get to a little bit later, is there was a stretch in there where Maryland had to rely on its bench. You know, Russell will um, – excuse me, Fats Russell and Eric Ayala played 37 out of 40 minutes, each of them. You know, they could not sit this entire game pretty much. And when Maryland had to roll out on his bench, other than Julian Reese, who's going to get a lot of minutes off the bench, he's obviously has a ton of raw talent. And even when he doesn't put up a ton of points, he has an impact on the game. And he's their legitimate sixth man. But beyond him, when Maryland has to rely on Xavier Green, who's a very good defender, but doesn't provide really anything on offense and Ian Martinez who's really struggled in in recent games when they have to rely on those guys you know they're they're not going to be great and that's what we saw Maryland had a bench lineup when the Julian Reese Xavier Green Ian Martinez were in for a brief brief stretch there Maryland was really struggling and that's kind of when Iowa retook the lead so it's really concerned the lack of depth that Maryland has on its bench when that was supposed to be a strong suit coming into the season it was that Maryland has a ton of um, depth. That's what Turgeon was always talking about. It's one of the strengths of this team. You know, he has seven starters that he can play. And Ian Martinez has really struggled to create his own shot, to hit open looks, just all around. He's, you know, he's really struggled. And that's going to that's that's gonna end up biting them when Maryland has to rely on its starters as much as they have, especially when they're against this, these difficult Big Ten matchups. Yeah, and I think you touched upon it a little bit before, but kind of the difference maker and the shift in dynamic that happened when Iowa had kind of jumped out to that big lead early on is that um, Eric Ayala touched upon it that they were just giving up too many points in transition and weren't getting enough points themselves in transition. Like we know that Fats Russell is a quick player and can do a lot when he is, you know, moving at the speed he prefers to, which is full speed. And I think one big change is that that they made was what switching up the defense allowed them to do was to kind of control the pace of a game of the game a little bit more. And, you know, they come out a little bit lethargic, maybe a little bit slower, give up easy points in transition, but then make those adjustments. And like the biggest thing is not only were they, they then in turn scoring on transition and kind of getting these open looks and opportunities, but they were stopping Iowa in transition. And it will be interesting kind of going forward into big 10 play to see where the consistency of the bench and the depth of the bench comes into play. 
Um, like you said, we know that Julian Reese is going to be getting plenty of playing time and that he should be a relatively large contributor off the bench. But E. Martinez, someone who, you know, is going to be needed as kind of a relief for, you know, whether it's um, Fats or Eric or Hakeem, whatever the case may be, is going to have to kind of step into a larger role, which I think he definitely has the potential to. We've seen bits and pieces of what he can do kind of throughout the season. He was um, out against Florida after being injured, um, after he fell and I believe was in concussion protocol. So, you know, I think that maybe he's kind of getting back to a place where he could be more of an impact player. But I agree this depth has been talked about kind of all season and was really the big, um, felt like a big selling point of the team was the depth and its chemistry coming into the season. And, you know, chemistry took a while to click, but I think we're starting to see it. Um, obviously, they would hope, um, uh, Danny Manning was talking about how there are no moral victories kind of when it comes to college basketball, but, you know, if they're the definitely Iowa came out to be a lot closer than maybe some people were expecting a lot tighter. So on the way to more chemistry. So maybe that means on the way to seeing kind of some of that depth on full display soon, but we'll kind of see, I think that um, big 10 play really exposes all the cracks of every team. And it seems like right now depth is kind of where Maryland is lacking a little bit. So we'll see kind of how that plays out against Illinois and going forward. So let's zoom in a little bit on Keegan Murray, because without his performance against Maryland, maybe Maryland escapes a win with escapes with a win in Iowa City. But alas, Keegan Murray stole the show in Iowa, career high 35 points, 14 of 21 shooting in a game high, 38 minutes on the floor, five of six from three. And keep in mind, this guy's a sophomore. So just an unbelievable performance from an unbelievable player. He's one of the best scorers in the nation, just his second season. And he was really unbelievable all night. And it's really hard to stop a player when he stands at six foot eight and Maryland is struggling to find a player to guard him, whether it be Donta Scott or Hakeem Hart. It seemed that nobody could get, you know, figure out what Keegan Murray was doing on the floor. And he was just hitting shot after shot. And it seemed that every time he touched the ball, it was going in. Is this going to start to be a, a recurring theme where Maryland is giving up these points to these star players because Maryland's defense has really struggled recently and they just didn't have any kind of answer for what Iowa was offering when they got the ball to Keegan Murray. But was, was that performance more of Murray being a star player and just taking control of the game and winning a game for Iowa at home? Or was it just Maryland's defense not doing a good enough job of, you know, figuring out how to stop a star player. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. I mean, it was probably a little bit of both just because, you know, he is that good of a player where it's like you can't, like, there's no one who can really guard him probably in the entire league. So when you throw like a single coverage guy out there, you're really not going to have like success. But like, that's this is also where Maryland's missing like a narrow Morsell from last year because he was the Big Ten defense player of the year. He was the guy that on the opposing team's best player, you could feel comfortable. This, you put him on an island with him, and he's going to lock up most other guards and even some forwards in the, in the, in the league last year. But obviously, Maryland, is ha- Maryland doesn't have Darryl Morsell this year. Hakeem Hart's kind of been the guy that they've put on, and he's, done, and he's obviously – his defensive transformation has been phenomenal, and he's turned into a great defender. So he's the guy that Maryland relies on when, when they need to stick someone on the opposing team's best player. But 
he wasn't really guarding Keegan Murray last game. And we've saw explosions from players earlier this season where they've gone off for like, and Maryland's ended up stopping them kind of because, you know, you give them more attention once they're, once they're playing more, but we've seen Maryland's, we've seen opposing players really eat Maryland alive this season. And it's kind of a problem. Like when it's going to be a problem moving forward, if you know, the best player on every team is always in single coverage and getting, getting really any looks they want, like Kofi Cockburn coming up against Illinois. I mean, um, Brad Davis on Wisconsin in two games, like all these guys who, who are just capable of going off at any moment in time. If you have single coverage on them, Maryland doesn't have one defender that can put, put that you can give them. And, and with Iowa and Keegan Murray, you obviously want to form, throw more bodies at him and maybe have extra emphasis on help, maybe even double him or trap him at times to get the ball out of his hands. But Iowa has so many scores and so many shooters. And if you give guy, other guys open looks, eventually they're going to start hitting them. So that was really a, a difficult matchup all around for Maryland. But yeah, it, it is a little bit of a concern moving forward um, how they just let guys, you know, explode really on them. Yeah, and I think it's definitely a trend and a theme. You look back to some of the earlier games like um, – George Mason and Vermont and GW. And I remember even then we were talking about how, you know, whoever that team star player was, was having a breakout night. You look at Brown, the same kind of thing happened. Um, And then again against Iowa. So I think that, and it's, you know, they've picked up wins against some of those opponents that they've had players kind of have career high nights and whatever the case may be, career high, season highs. but at the same time, they're, I think they're starting to see that once they get to the Big Ten, it's not so easy to pick up that win if somebody is kind of having a night like that. And again, um, Big Ten has plenty of players who have the ability to put up 20-plus points, especially if Maryland is kind of giving them the opportunity. So that's something I think that I'm going to be interested in kind of looking at is kind of how often Maryland is giving up those kinds of opportunities to team star player players whatever the case may be and kind of how that's translating into wins and losses because earlier in the season they could get away with it a little bit when they were playing opponents that maybe weren't as challenging but now as again they approach this really big time play is so challenging and it's not only challenging for them but we're seeing it all across different teams kind of beating each other up a little bit but what's kind of constant with some of those is that these star players really are shining and breaking through at least that's what it seems like so far early on so it'll be interesting to see if Maryland can kind of crack that and figure out a way to whether Hakeem Hart is the answer or something else is the answer. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out going forward. Right. And it seems like the teams that are playing Maryland, they seem to always have that one or two guys that are just always seemingly going off and putting up these point totals and putting the pressure on Maryland. And in response, we do have guys like Eric Ayala and Fats Russell having their moments. They combined for 35 points against Iowa. But when the difference between years past with this Maryland team is that they've always had that guy that they would go to late. And as much as Maryland wants Eric Ayala to be that guy, that's just – I just don't – like, it's just not who he is as a player. I don't think he is the – he is right now he's Maryland's go-to scorer but he's not an elite level talent in my opinion he's not he's he's very good Eric Isle is an extremely talented guard a, a score first guard who can really get it done and give you 18 to 22 points a night 
if when he's playing his best basketball. But when it comes down to it, if teams start to shut down Ayala, this team is this team is not complete. This team is going to have trouble scoring, and I think we're starting to see that a little. And obviously, a guy like Keegan Murray is an outlier and like one of the most elite players and scores in the nation as of yeah. right now. But Maryland's and unlike a lot of other Big Ten teams, they don't really have that guy. And it's it's hard to win games at the Big Ten when you don't have that added asset. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I, to hit to Ayala's credit, you know, he, he did hit that big three late kind of, which made it seem like they had a shot. We've seen that before of him made, making big – he's made big shots late in games before that we've seen. But you are right that he is easier to shut down if you give more defensive attention to than some of, some of these other guys in the Big Ten. And he's supposed to be the leading scorer, but, like, the best teams in the Big Ten, maybe not even, like, the best, like Iowa, Keegan Murray, Wisconsin, Brad Davis, you know, Rutgers who just beat Michigan last night. Um, they have Harper Jr. there, like obviously Purdue, Jane Ivey. They all of these guys who are like first team Big Ten, second team Big Ten um, guys who they can just rely on to give them bucket at any moment in time. And Ayala is a very, he's a very good scorer. You know, he's a very good two guard, but he's not like an Aaron Wiggins that is is as explosive and as capable of um, dominating in these in the in these big time situations. And I do think he's the guy that you can go to late. But also, but I don't think it's really fair to criticize him right now because he's done his part to get some of these wins wins recently. I mean, he's this fourth straight game that he's put up 19 or more. And Fats Russell has been phenomenal too as, as a distributor and scoring when he needs to too. It's, it's Dante Scott hasn't lived up to expectation this year, even though he's trending in the right direction. In, term, in terms of efficiency, he hasn't been as good as he needs to be. Hakeem Hart, you got to give a lot of credit to with his consistency even though he wasn't, he was over five in that second half against Iowa. He was still, he's been much better scoring wise. And obviously we know that the defender he's become, but it's, it really is more their bench. I mean, like they've had, this is back-to-back games now where Maryland had all five of their scorers in double figures. And the game before they had, they had four out of five of their guys, I think like 15 or more points. So like, it's really like Maryland starters are giving you the necessary produ- production, even though there's not one guy that's like you can rely on at all times, but it's really the bench that's just giving you virtually no production, and you have to rely on your starters for to be to be 100% on point every minute they're out on the floor, which isn't really reasonable. Yeah, and I mean, I think I just look at it a little bit differently. Whereas, like, I think what Maryland's more in need of is rather than kind of having someone who they go to late in the game. Like, I don't necessarily disagree with the fact that like. It, I think maybe Eric Ayala could um, turn into that, but I agree he's had he's really done his part of as of late. But I really think the problem is the beginning of the game for Maryland. Like that really just seems to be where their issues are coming into play. And if they're kind of pulling things together early on, you don't need that. Like you just you don't need the dramatic finish. And I'm not saying against a team like Iowa that they had to that it was like reasonable to think that they were going to like pull ahead and had they have been ahead this wouldn't be a close game at the end because Iowa and every other Big Ten opponent is challenging and these games are going to be close and they're going to come down to the wire but Maryland avoids so many problems or slows down problems do they like if they start off quicker earlier and the starters are doing their jobs and they have been pulling their weight and I agree like maybe there's things here and there that like you know um 
Dante trending in the right direction, but maybe not being exactly where people expect him to be, or it taking um, Fats and Eric a little bit of time to really just adjust. But realistically, like the one thing the starters aren't doing are coming out strong in every game or coming out kind of like with a statement that counters their opponent. And this has been happening. I mean, this isn't like a one game scenario, but again, problems are highlighted against Big Ten opponents. When I just think about this Iowa game, and watching it and writing about it, whatever the case may be, for there to be such a big gap so early on in the game, I think a lot of people are probably sitting there watching, thinking like, oh, this isn't going to turn around, like this will be a blowout. And somehow Maryland turned it around, which in my opinion, or in my thought process, feels like a harder thing to do is to adjust kind of mid-game and change momentum like that when you're playing away in Iowa City, um, big crowd, all of that. So I really do think that maybe Maryland doesn't have that, like maybe Eric Ayal is that player. Maybe he's not the 100% reliable player at the end of the game. Seems like um, against Iowa, he was willing to try and be that player. Um, But again, you look at the situation with the free throws. He talked about how that was a learning experience for him, you know, not hitting the rim, whatever the case may be. But really, I feel that if Maryland makes the adjustments on the front side, they might not necessarily need that. I mean, every team needs that, but like maybe, you know, you make the adjustments earlier on and these games aren't so being talked about who they can look to at the end, but rather like what they did in the middle that kind of needed cleaning up. Because I think that if, again, if Maryland came out strong against Iowa, I don't necessarily think it would have been maybe such a wide margin at the end, but I don't think it would have been as close and or maybe it wouldn't have ended up being as tight as it was because Iowa really did have such a big lead going into when Maryland had its big run that there was an opportunity for maybe Maryland to come out strong and potentially upset Iowa at home. Yeah, so Maryland getting off to a lot of slow starts. And at some point, because under Turgeon, the thing was the the slow starts were still a thing. Under Turgeon, Maryland got off to slow starts. Now under Danny Manning, this team is still getting off to slow starts. At some point, I think that it's not really the coaching's fault anymore. Not at all. I think, I think most of the blame should just be, you know, as much as you want to see the, the players exceed expectations, at some point, the blame, some of the blame needs to be put on the players for not executing in the opening 10, 15, 20 minutes of the game, and that's why they're getting off to slow starts. But at the same time, these players know they're struggling. These players know that they're not getting off to good starts in these games. And we heard Fats Russell say it at the end of the game. He said, it's a problem that we know we need to address. We've been trying to address it, and we need to fix it. And I think that's going to hold true for probably the entire season. And I don't know if it's like a mental thing with the starting five, because the starting five hasn't shifted one player all season. So I don't know if it's a problem mentally with the starting five. Maybe they're thinking about these starts too much, and that's why they're getting off to uh, cold beginnings to these games. But we'll have to see. But ultimately, uh, Maryland's five starters all ended double figures. Uh, Eric Ayala, 19 points. That's Russell, 16 on nearly 50% shooting. Uh, Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott each ended with 11, and Kadus Wahab ended with 12. But as we mentioned a little before, the real concern is with the depth. I mean, the depth scoring has been just such a big issue, basically, all season. And at some point, you just have to realize Maryland doesn't have a good bench. Maryland does not have a viable bench, especially in a Big Ten 
where a lot of these teams have very good players coming off the bench that can really maintain or shift the tide in a game. And Maryland's bench, which has just been resorted to basically Xavier Green, Julian Reese, and Ian Martinez, it's just not been good enough. And even against Iowa, I mean, Julian Reese has been a standout player all year for Maryland. But against Iowa, against tougher competition, he ended with just four points, two of five shooting. Uh, He did have two steals and five rebounds. But at the end of the day, and and I think he he played just 13 minutes, are, are you guys worried about Julian at all against tougher Big Ten competition? Because that was not a good start for the freshman. Yeah, I'm not really worried just because um, I think it comes with the growing pains of being, you know, a freshman and coming off the bench. So he's not playing like, you know, a lot of freshmen who are super talented, they're, they're starters and they're playing a ton of minutes and coaches are going to play them because of the raw talent. So they can make those mistakes in real time and learn and adjust. But I think when you're coming off the bench, like Julian Reese is, it's more of an adjustment period and there's going to be more growing pains. And I think you're seeing that with him, but, you know, his talent is unquestioned on both ends. You know, he's a great rim rim protector defensively he can move his feet obviously we know we can do offensively um super athletic nice touch around the rim and can even step out and shoot the three so i think you're just seeing some growing pains and you know as he gets more comfortable out there um you know you're not going to see those fouls defensively because as a good rim protector and he loves to block shots which we've seen him do a bunch of times this year but when you have that when you have a guy who loves to block shots a lot of times they're going to come down too hard and, you know, foul. And obviously these last two games, he's been in foul trouble, which has contributed to his struggles and maybe his limited minutes. Um, so I think you're just going to see it's it's a learning period. He's going to continue to grow and, and, and get better. But I'm not super concerned about him. It certainly would help if the foul trouble wasn't an issue immediately and he could immediately become more of an impact player, you know, on both ends without the fouls. But, you know, it's not something I'm concerned about. I only expect him to pr- improve as the season goes forward. Yeah, and just to add on to that point, um, Danny Manning has mentioned a bunch of times that when you're as tall as Julian is and when you're a player like Julian is in high school, you're not matching up against guys. There's not a lot of people who are that size in high school or maybe are challenging you in a certain way as they will in college in high school. So I think in addition to this being a transition period for Julian, kind of getting acclimated to Maryland in the Big Ten, he's also just getting acclimated to college basketball as a whole still like being a true freshman and you know being as young as he is he is just trying to get acclimated so I agree it's not necessarily cause for concern and I think that we will continue to see a lot of growth and improvement out of him throughout the season yeah and just one more thing about the depth scoring just quickly is there any room for improvement whatsoever because right now it's just Xavier Green and Ian Martinez and I don't know if there is any room for improvement because I think Maryland's going to have to heavily rely on their starters all year. Is, is that just going to be the case from now on? I mean, yeah, because I don't really see an alternative. Um, we knew what Xavier Green was coming in. I mean, he is not going to give you offensive production. And he, you know, he's out there for his defense, his hustle. You know, his, um, like he'll get on the ground. He'll, he'll do the dirty work. That's, that's what he's out there for. So you're not going to see that from him. Um, and in terms of who else could come off the bench, I mean, there's not like Simon Wright is is played a little sp- uh, sporadically but you know he's not gonna give you a lot of offensive production maybe he'll knock down a three but i don't really see him cracking the rotation like a cornish a lot of people i know i have people hitting me up all the time like when's like cornish gonna play and i'm like he's never gonna be in this rotation probably um 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's that. And then Ian Martinez, you know, he like, is it going to change? It really depends on Ian Martinez because he was supposed, you know, they had a lot of expectation for him coming in and he had that head injury that he suffered. Um, I forget who he was against. Oh, it was against Northwestern that he suffered. They didn't play against Florida. And then these last three games, he's really struggled to, to find his footing. You know, if he's, if he's kind of a guy that can just hang on the corner and, and Fats Russell or Eric Ayala can drive and dish to him, and if he's knocking down that three ball, he can be really useful. But he hasn't been able to shoot the three ball at a high level. You know, he kind of takes – he likes to take, like, these turnaround jumpers, kind of create for himself, but they haven't been hitting at a high clip either. So if he's not scoring and he's really struggling like he has – there's not a lot of use for him out there because he does make a few defensive mistakes a game. Um, so, I mean, unless that scoring somehow picks up and his shooting starts to improve, you know, this is going to be a serious, serious problem in the Big Ten with their lack of uh, bench production. Yeah, and I think if you look at those players, Ian Martinez does have kind of the most potential coming off the bench um, outside of Julian to kind of produce offensively. For Maryland, he was doing it a little bit toward – um, the beginning of the season, he had that big game. I feel like it came against Hofstra where he scored above 10 points, whatever the case may be. And, you know, I feel like for him being a young guy, you know, coming to Maryland out of the transfer portal and having the opportunity to be a big player off the bench, I feel like um, that's something we may start to see a little bit more. Again, he's coming off of that injury and we don't necessarily know um, kind of what the severity of any of that was so might take a little bit to get back into that groove but I think out of all the players coming off the bench um, on the offensive end outside of Julian he really has the potential to make an impact and we did get a little bit of a taste of it earlier this season so again going into Big Ten play a lot more challenging but he has experience playing and you know starting and kind of uh, for a different team and having putting up kind of the point production that he's supposed to and we saw it a little bit earlier so again something to watch going into Big Ten play. All right I think that's that's all for the Iowa game at least so Maryland eight and five after that game um, Maryland was eventually outscored 44 to 35 in the second half to eventually fall and now Maryland will look ahead to a matchup with Illinois. That game will be broadcasted on ESPN2. It'll be the second time the Maryland's on ESPN this season. Uh, to date, they played the last time they were on ESPN was against Virginia Tech in the Big Ten ACC Challenge and what ended up being uh, Mark Turgeon's last game as head coach. Uh, Illinois just dismantled Minnesota on the road, 76-53. to I think Minnesota was 10-1 and coming into that game. They've been one of the more Surprise teams in the Big Ten. Illinois is now 10-3 and three on the year. They are 6-1 and one in a home where Maryland will play them. And the Fighting Illini have won three straight. And I think more importantly, they beat Iowa early in the, in, earlier in December. They beat them 87-83. to So I guess Maryland has sort of a benchmark of how they have to play against Illinois to beat them. Uh, Kofi Coburn one of the best players in the nation, one of the best big men in the nation, in the nation, if not the best. He had 29 and 10 last night. He's averaging a double-double. Just like Keegan Murray, he's the star. How can Maryland possibly contain a player like Kofi Coburn, and will they be able to? Well, here's the thing. Maryland, and specifically Mark Turgeon, dominated 
Brad Underwood and Illinois every time they faced off. I mean, this was this was the game you could circle on the calendar that Maryland was going to win, no matter what Illinois was ranked, no matter what their records were. Like even last year, Illinois they played Maryland played Illinois when Illinois was ranked number twelve, and obviously Maryland was not very good at that point last year. Maryland won that game the year before. That was at the home game with the amazing Anthony Cowan shot in Kofi Cochran's freshman year. Um, so and then and then Maryland's won the last four matchups on the road. So Illinois hasn't won at home in four games um, against Maryland. So when Mark Turgeon was here, this was the team that Maryland, like Mark Turgeon, just dominated Brad Underwood, Illinois' coach. But Mark Turgeon's obviously not here anymore. And um, Matt Brady still is, but Danny Manning was not on the staff last year or those previous few years. So it, it's going to be interesting because it's not like they have that advantage where um, Mark Turgeon just, I don't know what it is, but for some reason he outcoaches and out and his teams outperform Illinois every time they play. But this Illinois team is really good. Um, they're going to finish top three, top four in the Big Ten. Um, you know, their loss, one of their losses earlier this year was to a good Arizona team and then a Marquette team. That, that's obviously good. They destroyed um, they destroyed Providence last night. So, you know, this Illinois team is, is really good, and it's going to be interesting to see how they contain um, uh, Kofi Cockburn. You know, are they going to go just – they can't really go single coverage because he will destroy Wahab. Down there, Just he's just too strong and too will overpower him. So you're going to have to bring multiple guys. I don't know. Are they going to front the post and have help on the backside? Are they just going to immediately double on him? It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Last year, you know, they were doubling all the time, but they were – I think Dante Scott was guarding him because they were they were undersized last year. So it's going to be interesting, their defensive coverages against him. But they have, they have guys all over that can really score at a high level. I mean, this Illinois team is really good. It's going to be a tough matchup for Maryland to win. It will be a huge upset because, you know, after they also have Wisconsin after the – after um after on Sunday. So that's another really hard game. You know, Wisconsin just knocked off the, the favorite in the Big Ten, Purdue. So Maryland's going to be a serious, I don't think the line's come out yet, but Maryland's going to be a serious underdog, underdog against Illinois. They're going to be a serious underdog against Wisconsin, even though they're going to be back at home. And then they have Northwestern, which presumably, you know, it's the Big Ten, so anything can happen any single night, but that should be a win against Northwestern when they lost them earlier this season. But they can't really go 0-3 in the stretch. I mean, if Maryland goes 0-3 to Iowa, which they've already lost to, um, Illinois tomorrow night, and then Wisconsin, I think right there, their March Madness hopes are just over. I, I would I would be willing to say it right there with that stretch if they can go if they go 0-3. So I don't know where this win's gonna come from the next two days. Like I said, because Maryland's historically been good against Illinois and Turgeon isn't there anymore, maybe Brad Underwood really wants this one. Maybe those Illinois players really want it. But I don't know. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I think it's interesting that you bring that up because when you look at Maryland, the Maryland men's basketball, the conversation at the beginning of the season is expectations are super high. Then they go on that tough stretch, um, Turgeon and the program part ways, and it's kind of like, okay, it's kind of no expectations. And the expectation is really just – kind of seeing what Danny Manning can string together with this team. And so I think with these next two games, kind of seeing if they can turn things around and not kind of slide into another 0-3 pattern will be pretty telling to see kind of maybe how teams are preparing for Maryland, but also quick adjustments that Maryland can make. Um, against Illinois is a really good opportunity 
for them to try and shut down a star player in Kofi Coburn and kind of make that adjustment from um, Keegan Murray, you know, kind of what they weren't able to do against Iowa. Are they able to do it against Illinois? And then again, another quick turnaround, Wisconsin with their star players to kind of make that adjustment. But I think that just kind of thinking about if Maryland will be able to contain him, um, it is a different situation than Maryland was in last year in terms of having height and size and maybe being able to challenge him a little bit more. But again, I think that Illinois is going to want this win, especially kind of like coming off what they're going on with now and, you know, the expectations surrounding Illinois' program. So um, I'm interested to seeing kind of how coverage on Kofi Coburn is and what kind of impact he can have and whether he's going to kind of put up a 20-plus point game like we've been seeing for everyone's star players recently. Um, It's been a theme for players to score career highs on Maryland, to score 20-plus points. And again, Maryland has won some of those games when players are doing that, but in the Big Ten, just can't do it the same way if their leading scorer is really just going off and having the kind of night that Keegan Murray had and that Kofi Coburn is capable of having. So Danny Manning, former big man, big coach. I think that he's going to challenge Kadus Wahab to guard Kofi Coburn man-to-man right out of the gates, and Maryland's not going to bring the double team right that's away. I think one, That's going to be one costly decision. Right. Okay, so I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm saying that's what he's going to challenge him to do because if Maryland's going to win this game, they're going to have to just find a way to get a strategy that's working, and I think that's going to be the initial strategy. I think that if Maryland starts the double team, I think they're going to get burned all over the court, and Illinois is going to get plenty of open shots. And I think that Danny Manning is going to talk to Caduce Wahab and say, look, you got one of the, the best big men here in the nation that you're going up against on the road, and I think he's going to challenge him to take him mano y mano. And I don't, and I don't think Caduce Wahab is going to win that battle, but I honest, that's what my first thought was when I was thinking about this matchup. Because it's not like there's a huge height difference. There's obviously a large skill difference. But I think that uh, Caduce Wahab is going to have to give his best in, uh, on a 1v1 with uh, Kofi Coburn down low. And, and yeah, I don't know if it's going to work. And Maryland's probably going to have to resort to double-teaming him with another guy down low. But I think it's, yeah. it, it might eventually spell disaster. Well, I'm sure they're going to have a bunch of defensive looks to go to and wrinkles up their sleeve that they can throw at them, maybe even a little bit zone too. Um, to and like he might, if he's on the high post, if he's on the baseline in that zone, you know, take just put an emphasis on taking him away and not letting him touch the ball in a zone. But it's also going to be interesting on Maryland's offensive side because, like, um, Kudus Wahab is really not going to ha- be able to have an impact on this game offensively. I mean, he's going to have a really tough time. We've seen him dominate against like smaller opponents, but against Kofi Cockburn, he's not going to be able to. To, to score on that low post. So like, what do you do with him offensively will be very interesting. Are you going to get him away from the basket, run some high screen and roll, which we really haven't seen a lot of this year. But, you know, if you do that, if you run that high screen and roll, you also get Kofi away from the basket, who's a good rim protector, and that can help Maryland's guards get downhill. Because, you know, when Illinois is a lot, when they've only given up 64 points this year or less to opponents, they're seven and up. So it's kind of like that 64 point mark where Maryland, if they can somehow score around 70 points in this one and they have an offensive explosion they're going to be able to compete um and be in this game against illinois but so it'll be interesting to see what they, what they do with q offensively too yeah and i also think um dylan you brought up before 
Danny Manning, you know, his kind of being a big man himself and some of how that goes into his style of coaching. He loves points in the paint and he loves to draw fouls and kind of that's the way he likes to generate offense and points and or one of the ways he likes to at least and because that's just what he has experience with as a player and so I think it'll be interesting to see who gets to the bonus first um in the Illinois game I think it will be a little bit of a battle and I think we'll see players like you potential and like Julian maybe some of these bigger players um fouling early on maybe just kind of for what we've attributed to in the past whether that's just um, kind of a learning curve for Julian or Q being challenged and trying to figure out how to adapt to that. So I think going into Illinois, that will be an interesting aspect of gameplay, whether Maryland is kind of able to get to the line early on and kind of, if at all, they're able to challenge um, Kofi Coburn and Illinois as a whole to try not to send them to the line either and try and kind of control their gameplay while drawing fouls themselves. All right. So a very difficult matchup for Maryland coming up. They're 8-5 and five on the season. They will be going on the road to face Illinois after losing to Iowa on the road. I think it's time for our wonderful score predictions before we close off this episode of the podcast. So I guess I will go first. I think that Maryland's defense is going to have a really tough time trying to contain Illinois and all of their depth. I think Illinois is going to hit that 80-point mark. 80, yeah, 80 point mark. And I don't know if, yeah, I think the spread should be around double digits, maybe around like 10 or 11, 12, somewhere around that range. I think Maryland keeps it somewhat within that range. And I would say that I think Illinois puts up 83 points to Maryland 71. Um, I don't think it's going to be that high scoring, but I do think Illinois is going to win. I, th- I do expect the spread to be right around where it was for Illinois maybe start at like eight or nine and move up to right around double digits. Um, I think Illinois is going to win 72 to 66. That's close to mine. I had 70 to 62 Illinois. I think that um, Maryland struggled. Maryland might win actually. (laughs) I mean, yeah, Maryland might win, but I think that um, I just, I do think that Illinois kind of has the edge. And again, Maryland hasn't been able to generate offensively to put up over 70 or it doesn't seem like they'll be able to put up over 70 points in a matchup like this. So that 70 to 62, I think I said. All right. I'm the only one with a high scoring matchup. That's okay. I like being the outlier. I'm usually wrong enough. So it's whatever. Uh, all right. That'll do it for this uh, Testudo times podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And we will get back to you guys next week to show how wrong I am with my predictions. Thank you so much for listening.